This is Commission Vice President Sam Cho reconvening the regular meeting of July 26th, 2022. The time is 12.05 exactly. We're meeting in person today at the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport Conference Center and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Commissioner Calkins is excused today so he can attend the Washington Public Ports Association Conference, but there is a chance that he could join us at 12 p.m., so he may be here for a little bit of today's public meeting. Um, he serves as the Port of Seattle's representative and is currently the Vice President of the Association, so it was very important for him to be attending the conference. Clerk Hart, please do a roll call of all commissioners in attendance today. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Fellerman. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Present. Thank you. Is Commissioner Calkins on the line? And then Commissioner Cho. Present. Thank you. You do have a quorum here today. Thank you very much. Due to the continued virtual component of participation for our meeting, we have staff, external presenters, and members of public who may be participating on their personal devices or from their telephones today. We've made arrangements to accommodate this virtual format. Later, we'll take public comment from people who are participating in teams, as well as those uh, who are in person and who have signed up to speak. For anyone participating on Microsoft Teams, please mute your speakers when you are not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your cameras off unless you are a member of the commission or executive director participating virtually, or uh, you are a member uh, of staff in a presentation or actively addressing the commission. Members of the public addressing the commission may turn on their cameras when their name is called to speak. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off the speakers on any computers and silence your devices. When you are recognized to speak, you will press the button for your microphone to be audible and will press it against to silence it uh, when not actively speaking. All the items noted here will ensure a smoother meeting. Thank you so much for complying. All votes today will be taken by the roll call method since there is a virtual component to the meeting, so it is clear for everyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. To be equitable, I ask that all commissioners wait to be recognized before speaking. We are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. The meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may be rebroadcast by King County Television. Please stand or join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Excellent. Before we uh, commence and continue on our agenda, I just really wanted to quickly uh, call out, acknowledge that you may notice uh, Commissioner Hazegawa today uh, wearing sunglasses. Uh, and this is certainly not because she wants to be less engaging with the public or less engaged with today's meeting, but because she had a medical procedure on her eye, uh, which requires her to have these shades on. And so please do not throw her any shade for that. Um, <laughs> All right. She was so bright, she had to wear <laughs> Yeah, and she's cooling all of us. So. Um, the first item of business today is approval of the agenda. Are there any motions to arrange the orders of the day or any items to remove from the consent agenda for separate discussion? Okay, seeing none, commissioners, the question is now on approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda? So moved. Second. The motion was 
uh, uh, made and seconded. Is there any objections to the approval of the agenda as presented? Hearing none, the agenda is approved. All right, next on our agenda is the Executive Director's Report. Executive Director Metric, take it away. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, today we celebrate 32 years of the American with Disabilities Act. This landmark legislation prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities, ensuring access to transportation, education, and other public services. As of 2022, approximately one in four adults in the United States live with a disability. The Port of Seattle is making pur purposeful efforts to bring down barriers and ensure accessibility to the port's facilities and information services. As you heard about in our last commission meeting about making those more accessible. We are committing to making uh, Seattle Tacoma International Airport the most accessible, accessible airport in the nation. Among many examples, we are now proud of our very popular sensory, sensory room and sunflower, sunflower lanyards which allows travelers with hidden disabilities to let airport staff know that they may need a little extra help or extra patience. Last month, we shared with the commission our improvements to the port's website and commission portal that uh, I was mentioning. This month, we are promoting accessibility features at the airport through a blog post, advertising, email marketing, and social media. Thank you for celebrating ADA Awareness Day with us. In order to advance our sustainability work, it is important for us to share best practices with like-minded ports here in the U.S. and around the world. To this end, I was honored to represent the Port of Seattle at the Incheon International Ocean Forum held virtually last week in Korea. This conference brought together port leaders, shipping executives, logistics experts, and environmental leaders from around the world. The top priority was developing strategies to achieve sustainability in the maritime industry. In my presentation, I focused on the Port of Seattle's long history of environmental, social, and government, governmental achievements to protect air and water quality as we provide important economic benefits to the community. I described our industry-leading Northwest Ports Clean Air Strategy, which sets, sets out a vision to be zero emission by 2050, and our Maritime Air and Climate Action Plan. I was very excited to share the initial progress in our Washington, British Columbia, Alaska Green Corridor efforts. With our, first, with, our first of, with our group of first movers, we're exploring the feasibility of a green corridor to test zero emission ships and strategies for transitioning the industry to zero climate and air emissions. On the subject of the Green Corridor Initiative, we're off to a strong start. Tomorrow, we are convening the second meeting of the ports, industries, and decarbonization experts who in May this year committed to join us in exploring a green corridor for cruise ships to Alaska. The partners will begin discussions about an organizational structure for the partnership that allows for clear decision-making, information sharing, and stakeholder participation. They'll also discuss development of the project charter. We'll report to you on the progress of this meeting in the right after we uh, complete it. We're in the, speaking of cruise, we're in the middle of a very successful cruise season, and you may have heard that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention last week updated its COVID-19 guidelines for cruise ships. Among the changes that are while reporting of infections is still required, color coding scheme will no, the color coding scheme will no longer be used. Some previously mandatory protocols are now only recommended as well. While the severity of the pandemic may have eased, the disease is still very much with us. We've had conversations with our cruise line partners and they share our commitment to the protocols that protect the health of customers, crew, and the community. Here in King County, we still see medium transmission for COVID levels despite high positive test results within the community. More people are testing 
positive with COVID-19, but the severity of the illness is lower than previously seen with the original virus in the Delta variant of 2021. The port strongly recommends use of masks in indoor public spaces. As you know, the TSA has reinstated a mask mandate for its staff at the airport. We'll continue to update the Commission and the public of any changes in protocols moving forward. The port reached an important milestone last Saturday with the very successful grand opening of the Duwamish River People's Park. We not only have created 14 acres of new river habitat and public access, the park permanently symbolizes our strong partnership with the river community which helped shape the key elements of the project. We had a great turnout to celebrate the opening with outstanding entertainment, food, cultural exhibits and kayak tours of the river. We can all be proud of our collective efforts to create a legacy of environmental stewardship for years to come. The project was a collaborative effort that involved teams throughout the port, including environmental construction management, legal, financial, and external relations. Congratulations to all that were there and contributed to the project. Looking forward, we're looking, we are looking forward to the launch of the regular ferry service of a test basis between Des Moines Marina and Seattle starting on August 10th. The vessel will be the 65-foot uh, Chukat Express with a capacity of 63 passengers and will be docking at Pier 66. This pilot program authorized by the Des Moines City Council will offer four sailings a day and run for about nine weeks through October 9th to test the concept of a regular service from Des Moines to Seattle. The ferry service concept comes out of the city's extensive redevelopment of Des Moines Marina and a sailing last September to Seattle, which I was on, which was very well received. And I think other commissioners on that as well from that sailing from Des Moines. We wish them well on this effort that may contribute to removing vehicles from our congested roadways. Commissioners, in sad news, I'd like to take a few moments to note the passing of longtime Des Moines leader and community member Bob Sheckler. Former Mayor Sheckler served on the Des Moines City Council from 1996 to 2015 and served as mayor from 2004 to 2011. During his time on the council, he worked tirelessly to help grow Des Moines' economic base to help sustain vital city services while expanding the city's tax base and providing local jobs. In relation to the port, Bob was a staunch advocate for his community in expressing concerns regarding the environmental impacts of the port's construction of a third runway. That advocacy helped in water quality improvements for the surrounding communities, an agreement with the Highline School District, and helped guide the port to a more sustainable to, to more sustainable approaches in the construction and operation of SEA. He also helped create the Highline Forum in the early 2000s, a venue for airport area communities to collaborate on common issues. In addition, it was Mayor Sheckler's outreach to work collaboratively with the port, which resulted in the eventual development of Des Moines Creek Business Park an asset to both the City of Des Moines and the Port of Seattle. I want to offer our condolences to his wife Vicki and the entire Des Moines community on his passing. Moving today's, to today's Commission meeting, I'd like to highlight a few items. On our consent agenda, we have two major projects at the airport, which you've been briefed on in public earlier this year. Item 8F is an authorization related to the, con the sea concourse expansion. Approval will allow us to accelerate the design of the structural steel components, vertical circulation, and exterior wall design. Accelerating these project elements will enable us to buy and fabricate materials with long lead times while the design of the building is still underway. Early acquisition will reduce schedule risk and cost uncertainty due to supply chain issues and inflation. 
This is a strategy which you'll see us use as more as we go into the future. As noted in your previous briefing, once completed, the Sea Concourse Building Expansion Program will add needed airport dining and retail capacity, public amenities, office space, premium lounge, lounge space, and generate non-aeronautical revenue. Item 8G on your consent agenda is another item you received a briefing on earlier this year. Baggage handling systems are one of the most complex systems you'll find at any major airport. You just won't see it. It is a critical infrastructure that is the key to a high-performing airport. This request is for pre-construction authorization of Phase 3 of the project, the final stage of the program. We're replacing several separate baggage systems with a single interconnected system that can deliver bags checked in from any ticket counter to any gate in the terminal. This will be great flexibility. Later on in the agenda, you'll also receive briefings on our flight corridor safety program and our tourism recovery initiative. Lastly, on today's agenda, I'd like to point out item 8B is an authorization to convey a port-owned canine to its handler. I'd like to thank Merlin and his officer, Geraldine Berg, for their service to the port as an explosive detection team and congratulate Merlin on his well-deserved retirement. <laughs> now, next, speaking of the police department, lastly, as I conclude my remarks, I want to acknowledge a special guest in the audience. At our June commission meeting, you received a report on the activities of our Port of Seattle Police Department. As you learned from that briefing, the breadth of the work of our police officers is far-reaching and the impact that they have on our customers and the community is seen every day. I'd now like to turn it over to Interim Chief Mike Villa to say a few words and introduce our Port of Seattle Police Department Officer of the Year. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, thank you, Director Metric. Um, so the so the Officer of the Year is an award that uh, the Police Department awards um, every year, and it is a uh, it's the officers or the staff in the Police Department who nominate uh, the Officer of the Year, and then they vote, and and it's really the peers then that select uh, that person. Uh, some of the considerations that they need to look at when they do that uh, one is personal qualities, so uh, knowledge, appearance, leadership, self motivation. Uh, communication skills, proficiency and assignment, uh, willingness to help others, and attitude. Um, and then there's also the uh, discharge of duties, which include things such as uh, distinguished service, development of a program, initiative, um, or uh, exemplary behavior. And uh, so there were four officers that were put in or nominated. And then um, it's my pleasure uh, to announce to the commissioners that Officer Michelle Briegel uh, was selected by her peers as uh, the Officer of the Year. Um, a couple comments regarding uh, um, Michelle or Officer Briegel uh, that came out of those nominations. Um, one was that uh, uh, she devoted herself to assisting people who are experiencing homelessness and people in crisis and constantly saw her doing that uh, during the course of the year. She was, uh, she is our, our crisis coordinator mm -hmm. um, and she was put into that position so she helps out in patrol. Um, but, uh, but primarily, her primary job is the crisis coordinator. Um, she, uh, and there's a couple of different, uh, well actually before I get into some examples, a couple of things. Uh, she worked very closely uh, with SEA uh, leadership uh, regarding um, um, how to um, address the issue of persons experiencing homelessness or, or in crisis uh, here at the airport. She also does work out at the seaport as well. Um, and, uh, and she does it in such a, uh, a caring and compassionate uh, manner that really exemplifies uh, what we're looking for in our officers. Um, she, um, 
she went down and or reviewed uh, LAX and how they uh, deal with uh, this particular issue and the teams that they've put together and, and brought some of that knowledge back here to SEA. And, and really, um, this past year, uh, especially she did a, a presentation at the AAAE conference, and coming out of that presentation, a lot of airports are now recognizing us as the model. And so don't, you don't need to go to LAX. Come to SEA. We'll show you how it's done uh, because what Officer uh, Briegel has done a um, couple of the, I mean, there's numerous people that she has helped uh, throughout uh, the airport and also the seaport and on our properties. Um, a couple examples that, that really resonated was, um, uh, one was, and she could tell you more about this story later, but uh, there's a few different ones. Uh, but one was a, um, let's stick to my notes here. So, uh, <laughs> all right, she, she, paid, she actually paid for a, a hotel for a mom and, and four kids mm -hmm. um, that were here. Um, they were unsheltered. Uh, she then worked with the mobile crisis team, King County mobile crisis team, and, and other social services to secure assistance. And that's one of the things that Michelle's background before coming here to the, to the airport um, as a police officer was that she was um, working in that realm of social services within King County. So already had a lot of networks, but really has leveraged those networks and those social services to, to be able to uh, get help for people that are in really dire situations. Um, another one was a, a person that we had um, multiple contacts with here at the airport. Um, Michelle had, Officer Briegel, um, had um, uh, assisted on, on previous occasions, um, but she, she kept coming back, and uh, eventually uh, she was able to, with the networks that she has and the social services, um, work out a situation where um, that, uh, that person received the more long-term help that they needed and really hasn't, I don't know. I don't know if they've been back since that time. Her family came and got her and took her back to her home state of Alabama. Mm -hmm. And so, anyway, but again, really, really helped that situation. I remember reading through that email and just myself thinking and looking at that. That, you know, my opinion, and it's probably not the only person. Um, Michelle probably saved her life. I mean, had she continued in that uh, situation that she was in, uh, Officer Briegel was also the, the winner of the 2021 and 2022 Outstanding Woman of the Port of Seattle. Mm. And so congratulations to that. So anyway, I could go on and on. I know you have a lot of other business uh, to conduct, but uh, um, just it is my pleasure to be able to, uh, again, introduce Officer Briegel and, uh, as the Officer of the Year. So. Um, this award, just being nominated for it, was a great honor of the group that was nominated. Every officer is outstanding and dedicates a lot of their time to just bettering the department and doing their job the best that they can. So it was a really competitive group. Um, being awarded Officer of the Year means a lot to me because it shows that my peers, my coworkers, uh, recognize the work that I do and they value it. And um, I love what I'm doing right now as a crisis coordinator, and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to do that uh, with SeaTac and SeaCares, the SeaCares group, and in the department. And um, this award is just, it's a great honor. So thank you for recognizing it today. Excellent. Well, first of all, thank you, uh, Officer Briegel, for your terrific work here at the Port of Seattle. Uh, and I also want to thank Executive Director Melchick and uh, Chief Via. Congratulations, truly, uh, for being selected by our peers uh, for this honor and recognition. And I think it's safe to say that the commission shares in this recognition uh, and thanks you for your service and dedication. 
Um, commissioners, let's just one more time uh, join me in an applause and of thanks for uh, Michelle Beagle. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, um, I just want to say really a major thanks. And it's, you know, specifically what police departments around the country are, are being asked to do. I mean, you are at the cutting edge. You're showing the model that everybody needs to understand that the compassionate enforcement is going to make us, you know, that much greater. So, I mean, it's easy to talk about it. The fact that we have one of our own doing it, it's greatly appreciated. And so uh, it's also, I think, one of the reasons we won um, this uh, recent SkyTrack Award. I think it was part of our handling of, pub, pub, of the diversity of public that we have to uh, join us through our, our, our airport. So anyway, I just wanted to say a quick word because it is so important these days that we have such examples to point to. Absolutely. Commissioner Azagawa. Officer Briegel, <laughs> I have waited so long to have the honor of making your acquaintance. Um, even before you were nominated and given this award, your reputation among officers and direct mental health professionals precedes you. Your influence in evolving this profession towards one that is care-centric for community is exactly what's going to attract people to this profession and um, your impact has clearly saved lives but also influenced the people with whom you work. Um, a point of personal privilege, my mother is a direct mental health professional and even before I got here she told me keep your eyes out for Officer Briegel. She is the best of the best and it didn't take, take me more than a couple months to see you win an award on behalf of the Port of Seattle um, for your influence here in the Port community. So to see you, um, your name and your story told in the POSPD annual report, I think was um, so important to memorialize that legacy, um, but to lift you up and honor you here today is truly our privilege. So thank you so much for your work and contributions to the community here at SeaTac and in the Port of Seattle. I'm honored. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Executive Director Metric, any additional comments before we proceed with the agenda? Me, Officer, my thanks for a job well done to Officer Briggle. And, and I think one thing that you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, this is going to probably make our general counsel nervous or, or at least finance, <laughs> but, but I hear when you use money out of your pocket to do that, I know before I've tried to see so many times that makes a difference in their lives, and I deeply appreciate that. And we've tried and been unsuccessful before to have a program that puts a little, some resources rather than using your own resources to do that. I don't know how to do it yet, but it, just when I hear that about that, the commitment, and you're not the only one from the police force. There's many others that have done that, in, uh, including buying tickets and, and everything and doing all of that. And I'm going to renew my efforts to try to work with our crack legal team <laughs> and other to find a method, Commissioner. I think you can agree to that. That makes that rather than having to do the right thing out of uh, their own funds. So, um, thank you for that. Thank Thanks. you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on in the agenda. No more. Uh, anything else, Executive Director Metric? Any additional comments? That's all I Thank you, Commissioner. Excellent. Uh, before we move forward, I think we have a special shout-out that Commissioner Hamdi uh, wanted to do, and so I'm going to 
<laughs> Hand over the mic. Thank you, um, Commissioner Vice President Cho. Um, yeah, I just would love to take a moment of personal privilege to welcome Avi Hertz, who's in our audience today. Avi is a young person who is fascinated by port operations and is joining us today to do a port tour. Um, Avi was also one of those young people who was really excited about my uh, election and was looking forward to seeing me sitting here on the dais. And so I'm really ha happy that you're here, Avi, and you'll get to tour the uh, airport today. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to say welcome to Avi and his father, Ansel Hertz, for being here today. And I hope you guys enjoy your tour. Amazing. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, let me just take a point of per personal privilege and say Pikachu is my favorite Pokemon as well. So <laughs> you are welcome at the port anytime, Avi. <laughs> <so cute>. uh, <laughs> we are now moving on to committee reports. Erica Chung, Commission Strategic Advisor, will provide the report. Erica, I think you're on mute. Yes. Start over, Erica. Thank you. Okay. Good afternoon, Vice President Cho and Commissioners. There are four committee reports for you today. The Portwide Arts Board convened by Commissioner Solomon and Hasegawa met on July 13. Senior Arts Program Manager Tommy Gregory introduced the new arts technician, Pete Fleming, who has joined the team to help with the maintenance of the collection. The board received updates on new art installations in South Satellite at the airport, the art conservation plan, as well as temporary art um, projects for fall, which include a little free library at the airport and a Schmidt Ocean Institute art piece at Pier 66. Tommy shared... Um, the art fund spending will increase from $2.2 million in 2022 to $6.8 million in 2025. He also shared that the arts fund from capital improvement projects at the airport are not site-specific, but are pooled and allocated based on projects. Board members asked staff to think about distribution of art, uh, public art to balance the needs of space relative to gathering waiting space versus ghost spaces as well as how to integrate art to tell a story at the airport. At the July 13 Waterfront and Industrial Lands Committee meeting, co-chairs Felleman and Hasegawa received updates on the City of Seattle's Industrial Land and Maritime Strategy, the Seattle Department of Transportation's plan, and Seattle Waterfront Redevelopment. Highlights included discussions about maintaining industrial lands, freight mobility, truck parking, and multimodal use of Alaskan Way, Commissioner Solomon and Hasegawa provided policy guidance on each presentation, and there were no recommendations to the commission. Um, Commissioners Mohammed and Cho met on July 19th as part of the Aviation Committee and discussed two items, driver improvements for the 100, South 160th lot and a proposed path forward for the taxi program. Commissioners are scheduling a site visit on South 160th, the committee were briefed on and agreed in principle with the staff recommendation for the taxi program path forward and have re requested robust consideration of driver and committee input as the final plan is developed. On July 15th, Commissioners Cho and Mohammed convened the Equity and Workforce Development Committee. Commissioners received an update on the status of the Maritime Youth Career Launch Program, including the program's staffing and implementation plan and overall strategic plan. Commissioners asked 
clarifying questions regarding selection criteria for the four organizations that will be awarded up to $1 million each through a competitive RFP process. Next, commissioners received an update and gave their input regarding the ongoing port-wide equity and budgeting efforts. Departments across the port are using the equity and budgeting playbook and answering an associated list of equity-related questions in the creation of their budget proposals. The committee recommended that commissioners include answers to these five equity-related questions in the one-pagers for their own budget proposals and that staff include an update on port-wide equity and budgeting effort at the upcoming budget retreat. The Sustainability Environment and Climate Committee scheduled for July 19th was canceled and then the next committee meeting is scheduled for August 16th. Also scheduled for August 16th committee meetings are Aviation Committee and Equity and Workforce Development Committee. This concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Th and thank you for that report. Clearly a lot of work being done. Are there any follow-up questions regarding committees? If so, please indicate if you would like to speak. Seeing none, we'll go ahead and move on to the next item in the agenda, which is public comment. And do Mr. Commissioner, Vice President, before you continue, I just want to note for the record that Commissioner Calkins has joined us. Oh, excellent. Welcome, Commissioner Calkins. We are just about to go into public comment. I'm going to read all this, uh, despite the fact that we don't have anyone commenting. The Commission will now accept general public comment from those who have signed up to speak on items related to the port. Written materials provided to the clerk will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually as well as anyone who has joined us in the chambers. As the clerk calls your name, if you are joining virtually, please unmute yourself. Then please repeat your name for the record. If you are on the Teams meeting and you are also streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. Comment time will be limited to two minutes per person. The timer will show on the screen for your viewing and will chime twice at the end of the two-minute period, at which time I'll ask speakers to conclude their remarks so that we may hear from our next speaker. Clerk Hart, please call our first speaker if we have any. Thank you, Mr. Commission Vice President. And as you noted, we did not have any advanced sign-ups, and I'm hearing from Mary Cruz that we have no sign-ups here in the room. So right. if you could call for anybody that might have joined virtually who yes. might want to speak that didn't sign up. Is there anyone else present on the team's call who didn't sign up who wishes to address the commission? If so, please state and spell your name for the record. Is there anyone in the room who didn't sign up who wishes to address the commission? If so, please come to the testimony table and state and spell your name for the record. This is what you call a late July commission meeting. <laughs> People are in the field. <laughs> or, or a commission meeting presided by myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, at this time, I'll ask the clerk to please give a synopsis of, the, of, of any written comments received. And no written comments received All today. Right. Hearing no further public testimony, we'll move to the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. We've heard of no items to be pulled today. At this time, the, cha the chair will entertain a motion to approve consent agenda covering items 8A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. So moved. Second. The motion was made and seconded. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. For approval of the consent agenda, beginning with Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. 
Thank you. Commissioner Muhammad. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. There are five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. The motion passes. Moving on in the agenda, we have a, one new business item for today. Clerk Hart, please read the item into the record. We'll then hear from our Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. Thank you. This is agenda item 10A, authorization for the Executive Director to advertise and execute a Flight Corridor Safety Program 2024 Professional Services Agreement for technical expertise and support to complete aerial obstruction data collection, field verification, and obstruction data analysis to identify obstructions at and around Seattle-Tacoma International Airport for program scope refinement to conduct environmental review and to execute agreements with public agencies as needed for purposes of obstruction management for an estimated cost of program planning, data collection work, and environmental review in the amount of $500,000. Commissioners, the FAA's primary mission is flight safety, which includes keeping arrival and departure corridors near airports free of obstructions to navigation. Airport operators such as the Port of Seattle share the commitment to safety, and that is why Seattle Tacoma International Airport has implemented the Flight Corridor Safety Program to identify and remove obstructions in the airport's vicinity. Uh, throughout my professional life, safety has always been and continues to be my top priority. I look forward to hearing more about more today about the program's accomplishments to date and what about the program's expected next steps are. The presenters are with us. Uh, I see Marco Melanies, Senior Community Engagement Manager, and Chris Coulter. There you are, Chris. Uh, program Leader from the Aviation Project Management. Chris. Uh, good afternoon, Commission. Good afternoon, Executive Director Metric. Uh, I'm joined today by Marco from External Relations. Also have Sarah Cox, uh, Director of Aviation Environmental. Um, Rob Kikillis from Operations, and Munchi Wu from the Project Management Group back there. Um, we're, so we're here today to talk about the uh, Flight Quarter Safety Program and give an overview of the ongoing program. Um, so as part of our, our uh, operational operation certificate here at the airport, we're required uh, by both the FAA and the state to identify and control obstructions. That's part of how we operate the airport. Um, so we are winding down the current phase of our program, which uh, for reference was called Flight Quarter Safety Program 2019, and we are just at the planning stages of Flight Quarter Safety Program 2024. Um, so as we begin this next five-year cycle, um, we're here today with uh, the specific ask for some authorization to uh, for some technical resources to help us uh, identify the obstructions that will be part of the next round of the program and um, also to begin uh, doing some planning work internally. So as we embark on this next cycle of the program, we want to take the lessons learned from the last one and carry these forward, um, especially with what worked well and what didn't and uh, what was successful. So um, in that note, Marco is here to talk about the existing program and uh, some of the success we've had there of, of the work in the community. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Marco and I'll be back with the ask later. Thanks. Thanks a bunch, Chris. Commissioners and Executive Director Metric, my name is Marco Milanese, and I am the Community Engagement Manager here at SEA, and I'm part of the External Relations Team. Uh, can we go to the next slide? To sum it up in one sentence, the Flight Corridor Safety Program is an ongoing port effort to improve safety by removing and replanting trees around the airport that have grown 
or will soon grow into FAA-designated flight services. Next slide. Removal of obstructions will ensure the airport's compliance with FAA regulations, state laws, and the airport's operational requirements. These FAA regulations include Federal Aviation Regulation Part 77, Federal Aviation Regulation Part 139, Advisory Circular 150, and FAA Grant Assurance 20 and 21. For uh, greater detail on all the pertinent regulations and requirements that the airport is complying with as part of this program, uh, the Commission memo includes all that information. Approximately every five years, the program's goal is to evaluate and mitigate for obstructions in the vicinity of the airport. And it's important to point out that so far, all the identified obstructions have been trees. Next slide. The inaugural phase of the program commenced back in 2014 with an aerial obstruction analysis. After all the planning work was complete and funding secured, the removal and replanting work kicked off in 2020. I am pleased to report that as of earlier this year, all obstructions identified in the program's inaugural phase have been removed and replanting work is ongoing. Approximately, as you can see from the, the slide ahead, uh, approximately 12,148 trees have been or will be planted to compensate for the 978 trees removed during this phase of work. Most of those felled trees, 789 of the 978 trees, are on port property. The remaining were on Washington State Department of Transportation property, Highline School District, property, City of SeaTac property, and some private properties as well. On port property, the port revegetated all sites where trees were removed with native shrubs and trees at a four to one ratio. Port environmental staff continues to monitor the, su the success of these new plantings as part of a five-year monitoring commitment. For other public properties, specifically the WashDOT, Highline School District, and City of SeaTac property, the port contributed to each entity's tree replanting fund at the rate specified by that entity. For private properties, the port offered to replant on site or replant on port property at a four to one ratio. Next slide. The port coordinated directly with all public and private property owners on scopes of work specific to their properties and on permanent easements on the properties as additional obstructions may require removal in the future. Particularly for private property owners, the port gave each property owner the time and space they needed to assess the port's agreement. Port staff met repeatedly with property owners to answer questions and come up with scopes of work that met the unique needs of their properties. The agreement the port signed with the Hillgrove Cemetery Association is probably the best example of the effort port staff put into these agree agreements to ensure all property owners at the end of the process felt whole. Environmental best management practices were and continue to be an integral part of the flight corridor safety program's overall design. They included, but are not limited to, avoiding tree removal work during the bird nesting period, which just ended, leaving vegetation barriers near buildings and streets, planting low-growing native varietals that won't become future obstructions, removing and controlling invasive species on site, and specific to port property, planting a tall-growing 
forest on off-site port property to compensate for the mature native trees that were felled on port property closer to the airfield. Next slide. The port developed and implemented a comprehensive outreach and communications plan to educate the community about the program and provide a forum for answering questions and soliciting input. The plan included coordination meetings with public agencies, the development of a project-specific online open house, regular email communications to relevant port listservs, public information sessions, and door-to-door -door neighborhood canvassing. As stated earlier, the Flight Quarter Safety Program is an ongoing program. So long as there are trees around the airport, the program will remain in place. The plan is to have the next obstruction survey take place in 2023 with removal and replanting work to follow. Lessons learned by staff and consultants during the program's inaugural phase will help inform the structure and design of the program's next phase of work. I now will turn things back over to Chris. Thanks, Marco. So uh, next slide, please. So this is just the, uh, the, the ask that uh, to reiterate what Michelle said earlier. Um, we'd like commission authorization to um, advertise a, uh, and execute a professional service agreement. We're going to need some technical help with this for doing the LIDAR flyover surveys and, and doing the data acquisition part. Uh, we want to actually go and get your permission to do that initial collection and field verification. Um, and that way we can work on scope refinement and program approach once we have the data. Um, we'd also like to uh, begin some of the environmental processes and understanding what um, sorts of environmental reviews will be necessary. Um, that'll become clear when we understand the full scope of the work. And uh, we'd also like to begin discussing this with um, uh, external agencies like WashDOT or Highland School District or, or our surrounding cities. So we have a uh, ask today of $500,000. Uh, that's the, the ask we need to get going on this. And I want to reiterate, we are just at the beginning of this. We are not asking you uh, to go do any obstruction removal at this time. We're not asking to go out in the community and, and tell them what we're doing yet. We want to come back, back to you guys for that. Uh, and on the next slide, you can see on the schedule, um, if you go to the next slide, how, how we intend to do that. So. Uh, in Q3, um, um, with, with your approval today for authorization, we will be out on the street to advertise for a professional service agreement. Um, and then about a year from now, we will actually go out and do our obstruction data collection, um, field verification, and other planning work. Um, and then we will um, um, certainly consult, consult with commission um, and then we will come back um, for authorization to do design and construction approximately two years from now. Uh, design will start um, that same quarter. Uh, and we're looking, depending on the size of the program, um, we're looking at, at construction completion at sometime in 2026. Um, next slide. Uh, the overall uh, budget uh, we are looking at is informed largely by how this current round went. Um, that's why we have a $9.7 million overall budget estimate. Um, at this time, though, I just want to reiterate, we are only here at the beginning, and so we are only asking for a $500,000 authorization at this time. Uh, we would be back in front of you with um, much more specifics on, on how we intend to carry out the program and for the, the remainder of the ask, whatever that is. Uh, next slide. 
And um, we always like, when we ever we do project delivery, we of course like to highlight the risk. And I think the biggest risk on this one at this point in time is, is, is the budget. And um, that will largely be dependent on the, the amount of obstructions we find. Um, and again, that's why we are, are only asking for 500,000 a day. We're just in data collection mode. Um, so that wraps up our presentation. Um, Marco and I, as well as other port staff are here to answer any questions you might have. Great, thank you Chris and Marco for the presentation. Are there any questions for staff at this time from commissioners? Please indicate if you would like to speak. Um, Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you, Vice President Cho. Um, first of all, thank you for the presentation. Um, I really appreciate you underscoring that this is the first step and it's a data collection uh, process. Um, I wanted to know, uh, I know there's a number of regulation that has been outlined in the memo that uh, requires us to uh, ensure the safety of the area and to participate in this flight corridor uh, program. Um, where can the public find that information? Can you just share that? The regulations, the list of regulations, is that on our website? What, what we could do is link that maybe to our uh, public online open house for the program. Would that work, Marco? That's a great idea. We do have a public online open house that is currently in operation, so maybe we can provide links directly there to those regulations. I would that, hate for ha the public to have to navigate the FAA website to find that. That's <laughs> right, and it's a number of regulations, so it would be helpful to just kind of know is. where it's all at. So thank you for um, taking that on. Um, my other question is, uh, how does the dollar amount that you guys are requesting today compare to um, previous requests? Um, that's a good question. We, um, it's a, roughly in alignment with what we've asked for before for planning, but what we did for that ask is we built a detailed budget ba based on the work we've already done. So we took a look at our prior work um, and then we added some escalation for costs because it's been five years since we did the flyover study. So we can provide you more details on that if you're interested, but we did a bottom up approach where we looked at each of the um, tasks and services we would need, how much those cost on the last round, and then we, we added for about five years of expected escalation. So it was kind of a, a zero up budget. Okay, that's helpful. Um, the other question that I had is around community engagement. Um, I think you know, obviously safety is a top priority for me and the community's health is also a top priority. So I'm wondering, we have the START committee um, set up. Have we engaged them around this particular flight corridor program? I'm sure you've done it in the past, but this new project. We haven't. Um, we've typically brought this topic forward, I believe, at the Highline Forum level with the elected officials and can continue to do that. Okay. And then you intend to bring it up to start at a later time once you guys get into get out of the the data collecting phase we certainly can okay that'd be great i think that's really important for the community members especially those who are part of uh the start committee to have accurate information about the uh flight corridor program that concludes my questions great anyone else commissioner hazagawa Thank you for the presentation. I guess I'm just wondering how often does a survey or a program like this take place, historically speaking? I, I can chime in on that. The FAA requires us um, to do uh, the, the obstruction survey on a five-year cycle. 
And then um, right now, our, we, we have a memorandum of understanding with the FAA on what flight surfaces will clear for. So um, at this point, they are, we are fortunate enough that they're leaving it up to us on how we manage our own obstructions. Um, and so that's our, we, we want to, I guess, stay in the driver's seat on that very much. So um, I, I think they are looking at us and we're taking a managed approach to it and they're satisfied with that. When was the last time the Port of Seattle has conducted a survey like so, this? So we did a, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but we did one in 2018 was the last one and our current data was based on that. So 2023 will be, uh, is when we're, we're here today to ask to be able to do it in 2023. So we would stay on that five-year cycle. Awesome. And then for the four-to-one replacement policy, that's in terms of trees specifically. I heard in the presentation that um, some of the trees that will that have been felled in the past were replaced with sh uh, native shrubs. Does that is that incorporated in that four-to-one ratio, or is it just for trees? Uh, no, I, I and environmental staff can correct me if I'm wrong. That's just for trees. Shrubs mm -hmm. is in addition to that. And trees are um, replanted in the same communities where they were removed or shrubs are replanted for the yes, benefit if, of the same community. Yes, if that's possible. Okay. Um, I'm wondering, let me get back to our PowerPoint here. On the second page of the PowerPoint, trees removed was 978, but they were placed at about um, 12,000. It's not a four to one ratio. What's the discrepancy? Accounted for. I can I can start Chris and maybe go, you can yeah, go but, ahead. Uh, the discrepancy is because of the, uh, the numbers required through WashDOT and mm -hmm. so the WashDOT has a very high replacement number for trees removed on their property mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and WashDOT has their own regulations they abide by Cer certainly we can meet with them to help guide that but in in general they have they follow their own uh, own deal right so yeah. they may choose to do um, 8,000 saplings or they may choose to do you know 2,000 um, larger slightly larger trees so they, they have a different way they go about it and they're kind of just this is what we're doing so uh, we one thing is uh, as much as we've worked with uh, agencies like WashDOT and the surrounding communities we also want to be very respectful of the way external agencies go about their own tree removal and while it might be this program that's helping fund that replacement program, we want to be respectful on how, how they are actually doing it. Right. So right, right. if that makes sense. Yep, perfect sense, thank you. Excellent, any more questions or comments? Commissioner Fellman? Thanks very much for the presentation and uh, for all your work historically. I think I'm one of the only commissioners that had the pleasure of living through that process. And um, and I appreciate you recognizing lessons learned and moving forward. And I, 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 I don't know, I'm getting a little tired giving Marco the shout out, but. I mean, once again, Marco, I really do appreciate all the work that you did, and I'm only being facetious, of course, being tired by that. Um, the, uh, and, and the Hillgrove Cemetery situation was really above and beyond the call of duty. I know I kind of pressed the issue, but to see really big trees being felled in a cemetery just struck me as a you know, particularly sensitive issue, and the sensitivity to which you took that on, and the community's appreciation. You even put a photograph in there with me in it, so... Thank you so much for that. Um, but no, honestly, it was a huge undertaking by the port, including, you know, care and ongoing stuff. So that is really shows, I think, above and beyond Call of Duty, what we're prepared to do to 
try to keep the communities whole. Um, one, one of the things you, you brought up in terms of the planting schedule differences between the agencies, as we discussed in the previous briefing, um, that the, 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 you know, that we spend maybe more time uh, stewarding the fewer trees to making sure that the, they succeed, whereas less Johnny Appleseed in, in that approach. Correct. Um, and, but it is our money because we're cutting other people, uh, we're cutting these trees for flight safety for the broader community. Um, obviously, each agency has their own jurisdictional issues, but it just struck me that there's opportunities for this collaborative thing that maybe, you know, if we're going to put out irrigation, you know, we could, you know, share that wealth or, you know, just that coordination that doing things that are probably the most uh, strategically beneficial. And, and then that brings up the question in terms of deciding, you know, where these are going to go. And, uh, and, you know, again, you know, the community process there, um, you know, we talk about, you know, ideally it's in kind in place, but it doesn't always work that way. And so then you're just going to look. So where are you going to, how are you going to decide that? And you know, we do have the Forterra plans, which are great. Um, but even within a Forterra plan, there's all sorts of discretionary decision-making. So if there was, you know, part, tell the community it's coming, but then we can engage the community that was um, possible. And, and, and I'm, I raised that question about, uh, you know, Forterra identified that these um, high schools are, or schools in general were really great places, you know, heat, uh, heat domes where kids spend a lot of time and young lungs and all that good stuff. And then some woman brought up that we're concerned about shooters sitting in the trees. I mean, like, I'm sorry, but who would have ever thought that that was have to be another consideration? And so, obviously, community input is very important, and uh, I'm really dismayed that we have to have such considerations in the future. Then finally, um, while you have the bird up in the air doing LIDAR surveys, the question is, are there other lands in the vicinity that we may want to assess to better characterize port properties? It start, struck me as if you're going to swing wide to get your next survey in, are there places that we could identify or properties that we may want to acquire? Right. You know, just like it just struck me that the hard part is mobilizing the equipment. Probably the survey itself is inexpensive once you're up. So, you know, talking to real estate or whomever else might be interested, I just struck me as maybe a, a cost savings for the future. That's yeah. a really good point. Yep, absolutely. We, right. we can, we can, we can take a look. We'll take a look at that. All right. Well, thanks again. Excellent. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Oh, yes. Commissioner Mohammed, go ahead. Thank you. I just had uh, a last um, a thought around the community engagement piece, and I know this might be uh, for us to talk about at a later time, but um, I just wanted you to note that it would be important to include um, language services and some of that outreach engagement. And I know that that is happening a lot at the port now, and so um, just wanted to point that out as you develop that engagement plan. That's perfect. We'll we'll add that in. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I'd also add that when we're we're doing one-on-one -on -one, um, outreach in the community with property owners, we we definitely take that into account too, and and have those services available. Great. Thanks again to both Chris and Marco for the presentation. Um, Mr. Um, Commissioner, uh, Vice President, yeah. um, Commissioner Calkins. Oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Calkins. Do you have any questions or comments regarding this item? I don't, but thanks for checking in. Thank uh, the clerk for that. Um, all right. Hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? 
So moved. Second. Great. Uh, the motion has been made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll uh, for the vote. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fallerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Great. The motion passes. Moving on to item 11. We are now moving on to item 11. Presentation and staff reports. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. Executive Director Metric will then introduce the item. Thank you. This is agenda item 11A, Tourism Recovery Initiative Summary Briefing. Commissioners, you'll next be briefed on the results of our Tourism Recovery Initiative. Early in the pandemic, we recognized the, the importance of the uh, um, tourism industry and invested in a partnership with Washington State Tourism to help this industry re rebound and recover. Uh, David Blanford, David, and uh, Washington State uh, Tourism will highlight the results of this campaign and also discuss the needs to be done to sustain tourism recovery. Uh, presenters include Dave McFadden, a Managing Director of Economic Development, and Nick uh, uh, Leonti, or I got that, that really close. That's Leonti. Leonti, uh, our director, our director of tourism here at the port, and David Blanford, State of Washington Tourism. So, Dave, we'll turn over to you. Mike's not on. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners, Executive Director Metric. Uh, very pleased to introduce this item. Uh, Two years ago, about this time, we were initiating this effort. It was a different time. The airport was one of the quietest places in the region. A lot of our businesses were shut down or just reopening after mandated closures. Our port was thinking both how to dig ourselves out of this mess, but also how can we help. This is in the spirit of helping others that we really wanted to mount a tourism recovery initiative. It also symboled our thinking at the time that this pandemic would come and go. And so we authorized this, but the story really went that a lot of the early time we spent preparing, not actually marketing, you know, not actually turning on the light bulb and trying to stimulate travel, just getting ready for that opportunity. So that's our story today. Let's go to the um, slide deck and go to the next slide. So that's just our intro. Uh, I talked a little bit about the history and overview of the effort. Let's uh, keep going. So really, we put $1.5 million into this tourism recovery initiative, and you can see how our funding broke down. But then we were complementing by partner partnering with the Washington Tourism Alliance, which is now the state of Washington Tourism Department, to implement this partnership initiative. Um, David Blanford joins me today. He is our state director of our tourism department, along with our new tourism director, Nick Leonti. And it's my pleasure to introduce you to Nick. Um, he, we were driving down together and he just finished his first month on the job. And so he hails from California where he's been a veteran in the tourism industry for almost, you know, over 20 years. And we're glad to have him. And so without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to David at this point. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Commissioner, it's nice to be with you. Executive Director Metric, thanks for your support. It was July 28th, 2020, so it was exactly two years ago that we spoke to you and that you approved this contract. And we can't underscore enough how important and how seminal this was. 
I would add to what Dave said that not only were we right in the heart of a global pandemic, but we were just coming off of a decade of darkness at the state level. The state tourism office had been closed in, in 2011. The industry was reeling and advocating for many years to, to build back a statewide tourism program. The pandemic was not helpful. Um, we saw job losses, economic losses, tax losses, more significant than just about any other sector. And so the timing of this was so critical. We thank you so much. The industry knows it um, and is so grateful. We would not be where we are without it. Uh, we've come far enough down the road that we can now look back and see some of the results of our combined efforts. And so we'll dive right into that with the next slide. Um, regenerating North American air markets, a real tough challenge two years ago. I think we've We've really begun something here, and when you look at these numbers, you'll see that we have not only built back a, a state destination brand, but also consumer ad campaigns that target those air markets. Beginning in the West, you'll see there are some states, not all. Um, we also were on broad, broadcast channels in California and other states. Um, a $1.6 million consumer campaign 100 million impressions across all media partners, which drove significant web, web traffic back to our destination website, which says something about uh, a consumer's predisposition to book. We'll go to the next slide. Um, we're really excited about these third-party research numbers from Smari Insights, a national marketing research firm, which documents that this campaign influenced $52.7 million in out-of-state visitor rev revenues. Um, that's a 33 to one return on the investment. So for every dollar invested, $33 back. And what's really exciting, I think, is that ad aware visitors, those visitors who have seen the campaign are much more likely to book travel. Uh, this campaign ranks in the top 10% of all the, the consumer campaigns that Smari uh, researched. Um, I will just add there in the green box, um, a previous campaign, Explore Washington, which really was more regional and drive market, also achieved some phenomenal uh, results. We'll go to the next slide. Earn Media. Um, we knew that bang for buck, working with travel press and generating some publicity that favors the state would be really key. We hired a destination PR firm and got to work. And in the past year alone, since they started, we've had more than a thousand media engagements, hosted more than 30 uh, travel journalists here in Washington. Um, the total media impressions, um, too high to count. Um, even looking at some of just the top uh, coverage we received, we, we definitely achieved the goal set forth in the contract, which was 2.5 million in equivalent ad value. That's the amount of money you would, you would pay for ads, but through uh, free publicity. Next slide. Uh, you will not see this slide on the deck of all state tourism offices. We knew that we wanted to build back and build back better, and so we endeavored to build a destination development and recovery plan that really bolstered the industry and helped them build back to where they needed to be. Again, pandemic, but also 10 years of some challenging times without help from the state. We knew we needed to significantly invest 
geographically, but then also deeply into community into communities across diverse audiences, uh, rural, underserved communities, and absolutely make sure that they were represented at the table. And so, this plan I think goes far far and away beyond what other states do in terms of ongoing technical assistance, seminars, professional development, um, ongoing strategic development. Next slide. A key component of this program is our rural tourism support program. We say one community at a time, so we, we do that indeed. We go to one community, zero in on what their particular needs are, um, make sure that all elements are there, all segments of the industry, all business sec uh, sectors, everyone is there across all the diversity of that particular community. We gather for weeks, um, have uh, roll up your sleeve sessions, strategic planning sessions, identify funding, identify resource needs, and by the time that uh, community is finished, they have a plan, um, and that ties right in with our grant program. So our office will then extend grants based on what that community decides they need to do. Next slide. Um, we have also worked with the state, uh, Department of Commerce and Agriculture to administer grants to businesses across the state for agritourism, uh, for destination marketing organizations that were really severely hit by this pandemic. Uh, we also have begun and, and administer co-op research programs, which gives consumer analytics and more data to tourism businesses and communities at no cost or low cost to them. Next slide. Uh, I've spoken to you before about our Treadmap app. That is a very um, concerted effort to affect positively the flow of tourism around the state. We know that the pace of tourism recovery has been uneven. Too many visitors on one particular trailhead, not enough visitors in any other uh, community that really could use them. So this um, location-based app is something that in real time will encourage people to go to the next trailhead or to plan their trip not on the weekend but during the week or perhaps not in the height of hiking season but maybe uh, disperse to another time of year. We've just begun. Uh, we've built this app now and launched it statewide and we have great hopes that this will take off and be used by the whole state. Next slide. Uh, a big lift for uh, North American travel stimulation, we've talked about already with our consumer campaigns and such, to really regenerate overseas markets, we have to look at travel trade initiatives. This means working with tour operators around the world to build tour product that can be sold, put on the shelves, so that overseas tourists will come either as a part of a group or individual and come to our state. Again, we're coming off of 10 to 12 years of somewhat darkness where I think tour product lagged. And now we look at this as the building blocks. So that means we have to be in these markets, overseas markets. It means we have to go proactively and, and promote the state at trade shows around the world. Uh, we've done that pretty consistently throughout the pandemic. It means that we need to bring tour operators and travel suppliers and travel media. Um, um, welcome back, Bobby. Uh, to the state so that they can see it firsthand. 
we can't underestimate that they don't know. They don't know Washington the way we do. They don't love it the way we do. We have to go. We have to show it. We have to actually create itineraries, help them build those. It's the only way that it will work. Next slide. You've uh, heard us talk about the London sales mission back in late March and April. Again, could not have done this without the partnership from the port and participation from Commissioner Fellerman and Dave and from other staff. Um, we're already beginning to see some dividends here with these key clients. Next slide. Sorry to interrupt the presentation. Uh, Mr. Commission Vice President, we need to recess for a moment. Um, the room has dropped again with okay. our technology. We'll, so. we'll take a quick recess until we get reconnected. Just Thank a you. moment. Thank you. Well, we will reconvene the meeting. Please, uh, Nick and David, continue. Okay, great. Well, and we'll move to that next slide, please. Here we go. We've uh, we've talked about our annual tourism report card. These are 2021 numbers, um, just to to encapsulate. We're we were about 80% back. Um, that's pretty good, uh, considering how far we fell. But that's still a lot of work, um, I think. And when you factor in uh, market share uh, throughout the country, I think we have extra work to do than other states do. Um, I'll just add some, some numbers that are not represented here, but um, underscores why we have a recovery contract that focuses on a lot of these elements. 44% of domestic visitor volume is non-resident. So in other words, people coming from out of the state, staying overnight, spending money. The further away they come from, think overseas, the longer they stay, the more they spend. Um, further, hotel guests spend twice as much as people staying with friends and family, and 1.5 times more than those who stay in vacation rentals. So when you think back to that first campaign of a year, year and a half ago, that we worked with the port on, it was about moving people around the state and nearby feeder markets. It's so critical that we get back as quickly as we possibly can to national air markets and overseas markets. And next slide. Some quick numbers here just on some of our social channels, website. You can see some terrific incremental growth here, and I think that just underscores um, what we've built and the pace of recovery. And I think there's much more to come. We've done some really formative work here in building back these channels, and I think now we have the opportunity to really populate them and, and grow um, to see some real good benefit. Next slide. Um, and so that leaves me with the last one, which is to say, where do we go from here? It's been a really phenomenal two years. Again, we're so grateful for the partnership here. Could not have done it without the port's uh, commitment. Um, I think what's next would be that um, we need to build on that rural, diverse, underserved community support in ways that other states are now beginning to think about it, but we've already, we've already begun to take that path forward. Um, we absolutely have to bolster the industry. It can't recover without us. The U.S. Travel Association estimates the impact of this pandemic to be 10 times worse than 9-11 uh, and should take a full five years for the industry to come back and to regenerate those jobs. Um, we need to advance the concept of responsible travel 
which we know from consumer sentiment, um, visitors want. Um, this fits exactly with the brand we created and is a really interesting concept right now that I'm, I'm really excited to be taking forward in a first ever responsible outdoor travel summit. And I have credited before and will say again, I, I really appreciate Commissioner Fellman for sparking this. Um, he's exactly right. We have that, we have the opportunity here in spades in Washington. Our travel markets want sustainability. They want to be a part of those solutions. This will be a one day summit to begin in year one, where we will convene thought leaders from around the state and some outside of the state to really talk about where we could go here in Washington and put forth some ideas that I think, even in other states, they're not quite there yet uh, um, in venturing how this could build out in the state. We'll have a media component. We'll bring in out-of-state media as well as locals to cover some stories here, but then also to venture around the state post-conference. So thanks again to Commissioner Fellman. Um, lastly, again, I would, I would emphasize the fact that the next big step here for us will be to rebuild international tourism. It's the last segment of the industry to come back. It's probably the most critical. Um, for State of Washington tourism, it means we will continue on this hybrid funding road of public and private funding and we have some oars in the water to try and bolster that, try and build that up a little bit so that we can be a little bit more competitive with the other states. We still are dead last in the West, um, but we're better. And again, thanks to you, I think we've made some fantastic inroads. Really look forward to future partnership. I'll just say too, I'm really excited to be working with Nick Leonti. Um, he has been out in the industry the way I have. We have similar friends and colleagues run in similar circles. He already has, has jumped in here with some of this programming and with our uh, conference in the fall. And uh, so looking forward to the road ahead. Thank you. Thank you again. Great, I'll go ahead and open it up for comments and questions from commissioners at this time. Please indicate if you would like to speak. Commissioner Mohammed. Well, first of all, uh, David and Nick, thank you for this presentation and the important work you're doing to help our region build back better. Um, I actually remember watching um, a presentation that you put on um, at a commission meeting where um, I think it was Marie Carosi joined you, joined you um, during that presentation. And you both talked a lot about regional collaboration and what that meant. and. Um, I remember you mentioning um, that there were several tables already that existed where you guys were talking about some of these like next steps and what your plans were. Could you maybe just talk about what some of those conversations or what has been sort of the, the strategy regionally that came out of um, those stakeholder meetings? Yeah, yeah, great question and thanks for asking. We began this program by going to every region in the state and convening town halls to just assess what the issues are, uh, the impact of the pandemic, the years of, of really kind of being on communities on their own and trying to fend for themselves. Um, we took lots of notes. Um, we, we made those big meetings. I mean, we asked for everybody in the community. We wanted every voice there at the table to really hear it all. We then moved up to the next level where we hired outsourced experts to come in and devise um, a framework to help um, call ideas 
for the next steps for them. Each community is different. Each community has different needs. Um, and so that was the next rung. Um, and then the third is, is one where we're actively um, convening these groups, but, but working with a leadership group that is then beginning to think strategy and take things to the next level. Uh, regional partnerships, yes. It's going to be absolutely critical for, for those communities funding that they think regionally. It means uh, taking advantage, uh, advantage of grants, um, but also pooling resources. And thinking of travelers not as just coming to one community as a destination, but moving around the state, so there's benefit for multiple communities. Um, it's easy to work in silos, and so part of our work is to break that down and then bring these communities together so they pool resources, they work together, they share the benefit of tourism. That's a real broad, broad brush, but um, it, it's a start. No, that's really helpful, and even speaking of um, breaking down some of those silos, I, just last commission meeting, we um, passed uh, some funding for the Seattle Chamber and um, the port to do some community navigator work around the small businesses. And so, um, Dave, maybe you can speak to how does that body of work connect to some of what's happening with the tourism projects? Come on, yeah. Um, well, there's a vast number of small businesses within the hospitality and tourism industry that are still trying to get back on their feet. And so the navigators ostensibly could help some of those companies access the resources they need to either rebound, expand to the next level, or just reposition themselves. So that's definitely something that we can weave together. That's great. And so I guess um, I will conclude, but the last comment I'll make is I think that's important, right, to tap, tapping into those community navigator plan because yeah. it's clear that in the next step, really reaching out to um, impacted businesses and communities is a priority and ensuring that, you know, um, your team also includes equity officers at, at the top, right, to ensure that um, all of the strategies are really thinking about, about all communities that have been impacted and that the approach is really um, done in a way that is holistic and inclusive. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's my last comments. And thank you again for the presentation, the important work you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. And absolutely, equity is built into this, this framework. It's part of what we do. I would just add, too, that small business is 80% of the tourism industry statewide. And so when we look at these programs, we have to think of them as incubators for small businesses, BIPOC businesses, tribal businesses, and this is a foothold. This is a place where they all can start. And where this goes, we don't completely know yet. We're sort of, we're building it as we go, but we know it's the right path. Great. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Anyone else? Commissioner Hazegawa. Um, so I, I'll admit I don't know enough about some of the participants um, in the program to know the scope of what they do or, you know, what sort of um, attractions they um, they deal with. I mean, we're not just talking about vineyards and breweries and zip lining, but 
Washington State has so much historic significance, so many um, archaeological sites that mm -hmm. aren't just to be preserved, but to be shared with a story right. um, for members of the public. And so I'm wondering if there's been any partnership with the state with maybe the Department of Archaeology or um, maybe the tribes that um, also incorporate some of that, that historic tourism or, or public education component. Yeah, yeah, great, great point. Yes, absolutely. The, the Rural Tourism Support Program that we've just concluded, so that's our first destination we took through in the three counties in the far northeast part of the state, included the Kalispell Tribe, mm -hmm. um, many cultural centers. Um, i trying to think who else was at the table. It was a room full of the community, all at rounds, all brainstorming, all rolling up the sleeves. So many of those aspects um, were there. Um, archaeology? No, not yet, mm -hmm. but that's a great point. And, mm -hmm. and absolutely, we certainly could look at state agencies to maybe try and bring them in at this level as well. I think yeah. of um, either national or state recognized historic sites where mm -hmm. pe that do attract people from around the world. Right. Um, and other hidden gems that we have that maybe locals would consider um, destinations. Um, but it's just something um, that I wanted to ask about. The other thing um, I didn't realize, we, we just did a um, public commission meeting for the Commission on Asian Pacific American Affairs in Whatcom County. And there we learned from the Whatcom County Executive that it is the, um, the, the blueberry capital of the entire nation. Um, it's also a place that attracts people from around the world for um, uh, biking competitions. Um, and then, of course, amazing trails. And so I'm wondering if the Washington State Trails Association or sort of um, bikers clubs, which the Port of Seattle has existing relationships with, are engaged in the tourism effort at all. Yes, absolutely. We're working with the Trails Association on our Treadmap app and a number of other programs. Um, absolutely. Outdoor recreation is a big part of tourism. Uh, again, I think that the challenge here is to attract, but also educate and emphasize responsible recreation. So know before you go. Right. Um, um, take responsibility for the communities you intend to visit. Understand who they are. Understand cultural sensitivities. Mm -hmm. Understand the size of them. Understand that the, the visitor footprint certainly can be rather large to municipal um, uh, resources and search and rescue and things like that. So it's an interesting state of marketing here post-pandemic. I think that we have to market through travel advisories and through responsible travel filters to encourage people to come, to share what we have, but to tap into that desire that we know to be true from research that they really want to understand, learn, um, be a part of the sustainability that that the locals care about. All of that rolled into the new marketing, make it a really fascinating time. Great. Um, before we move on, uh, I want to just make a quick note for the record that Commissioner Calkins has left the meeting at approximately 1.06 p.m. to attend the Public Ports Association conference. Anyone else for comment on this item? Commissioner Feldman? Thank you, Dave and Dave and Nick. It's great to see you in person, and I must say, Hitting the ground running is an understatement, so I'm really delighted to have you on board and um, 
So, and you know, we've been spending a lot of time getting this uh, responsible outdoor travel summit together. ROTS is a really lovely acronym, I know. Um, but it rocks, you know. So, um, so in in uh, this is something that you know I always thought that part of my you know contribution to uh, economic development, the port was going to be rooted in in tourism, but this responsible tourism. As this is, you know, I always had a little bit of a challenge with you know, come to Seattle to go take a cruise to Alaska. I go, we got glaciers here. You know, we, we, you want to see a river, we got a river here. You want to see whales, we got whales here. So I'm really delighted that we can, you know, market Washington. And, uh, and I keep on telling you, but that last slide on this PowerPoint, it's like, I love this graphic that sort of depicts Washington in all its regional glory. And um, it's really, I just think, uh, takes a little while to make sense of it, but I think it's one of those really beautiful graphics that show the diversity of our state and you know what we refer to as big nature, big big city, and uh, we have that incredible combination. Um, the, the couple of things is like, I, um, you know, I've been sort of in the tourism business as sort of somewhat of an operator, whether it be whales or things like this, and, um, and I've had the pleasure of going to the Galapagos, you know, in Alaska, and, um, and, and and, and then had a month in Africa with a friend who does uh, wildlife work. And, um, and, and then I see an analogy with forks, which is uh, a remarkable thing. It's like when you have people that are living next to big nature, but are not benefiting from big nature, there's a resentment about big nature. And, so, and, and, and then there's also this, um, this turns into trying to do something with it that is not sustainable. Right, so you you know whether it be bush meat next to a national park or old growth trees or whales. I mean, it's just like it, unless you are able to benefit from it, it, it becomes a resource that might be much more short lived. And so I really see this uh, rural economic development component of it as being central, because that's where much of this big nature lies and folks who really need to uh, benefit from it. At the same time, um, I feel very you know. Uh, sense of responsibility about, well, you just don't want to say, come and get it, and uh, setting the right mentality to come and visit, and especially because of working with tribal governments, you know, folks don't want to just open the door to get trampled. Right. And so I, I think this, um, I've been trying to say, like, the most important thing to pack before you come is a sense of responsibility, and, um, and that we are marketing not Disneyland. We're marketing something right. that is unique and special about this place, and I think that is more and more a draw, and you know, the Expedia data that you presented before is like, this is what people want to do with their spare time. So we're like, you know, we're sitting on a golden egg and yeah. the correct question, we don't want to make an omelet, right? We, we want to, we want to uh, capitalize on this situation in, in, a, in a responsible way. Um, I think uh, the, the I, I guess the last thought is, I, I'm really hoping that this uh, conference is something that is just a natural building on. Because when you see, you know, well, I've been thinking about this for since I got here, you know, you look at the marketing materials that the state is doing. I mean, it's uh, this app of, um, you know, what is it? Uh, it's not just the tread map, but it's, it's the, the whole uh, marketing thing is so easily, in front of, you know, a natural state of being, you know, um, true to nature, you know, hashtag. Um, so, I mean, I just see that this is, we're, we're all in it together at this point, and, um, and the fact that we could do something that's more like uh, 
using the tour operators and allowing them to have the tools, sharing best management practices. And then when a reporter goes out and, and talks about the state of Washington, they're already setting that expectation. So thank you for making this a successful effort and all the work you've done, tourism grants and all the things along the way. I think we're really moving in a very positive direction and now even have some speakers already lined up to give the talk. So thanks. I love the hashtag reference. I think our youth is rubbing off on you, Commissioner Feigen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna ask one quick question and um, if I recall correctly, the, when we were approving the marketing budget for tourism, uh, we received a presentation on kind of the strategy and the targeting. And at the time, I had asked the question on why you were focused so much on Europe and European travelers as opposed to Asia. Mm -hmm. And the answer that I recall receiving was because Asia was still in kind of COVID mode, lockdown mode. And um, a lot of the traveling has not really been picking up in Asia as a result of that. Um, I'm wondering and want to get your thoughts on if that has shifted or changed since then. Um, I was in Korea last week and they don't have any quarantines anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I think there is what we call over here revenge travel mode or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you've adapted at all to the changing market and uh, how you expect that to kind of pan out going forward. Yeah, it's still um, slow but we're excited to get back to the Asian markets. You know, before the pandemic, they were, <clears throat> they were key. China was number one That's of right. all the overseas markets. Um, Japan, historically, over the past 20 years, has been vying with UK. It's, it was either UK or Japan. So um, we see ourselves getting back into those markets as soon as we are possibly able to do it. Um, and honestly, right now, there's, for us, there's some choices we have to make just because of resources. So we, as you saw, we invested in the UK earlier in the year with the port. That was a logical place to, to start because it was the most open of the markets and we had a chance of actually making uh, some, some inroads to getting some business over with all the great air service we have. Um, so as those opportunities open up, we'll look for that, but we also have to sort of build back the resources in order to take advantage of that and have a, a proper presence. And, and to that point, I would just uh, encourage you to coordinate with or, or be in touch with our airline staff because we've added several legs. We've added Helsinki, Finnish Air, we, exactly. a lot of new flights to Europe that we haven't had previously and I expect that to happen on the Asia side as well and so I would love for it to be targeted that way as well. Absolutely. Excellent. Commissioner Hasegawa. That Maybe think of a follow-up question. I mean, since the last time you presented to us, it was also announced that Seattle would be a potential location for the 2026 World Cup, and I wonder yeah. how um, that informs um, sort of your your action plan. Yeah, well, we that makes us very happy. Talk about <laughs> brand building around the world. My goodness, the exposure with that is just phenomenal, and to, for the rest of the world to see and to understand that the spirit of sport and recreation and everything we have here in abundance, really key. Um, I don't know yet how we will leverage that. We certainly will work with Visit Seattle and, and Seattle Sports Commission and other organizations. We've already had some talks with them. Um, but right now we're just grateful. That's fantastic. One more shot. Yes, Commissioner Bellamy. I guess you bring up that point that I, I, meant, to, I meant to raise earlier. It's really, I think, you know, when you look at why the port has been so involved in tourism, you know, obviously we have this little thing called SeaTac, you know, and um, four state regional fastest growing airport, obviously 
were in that business, um, besides Cruz and everything else. But um, other states promote tourism as a state. As I'm, and, and, you know, when I was talking to uh, Commissioner Franz, who will be speaking at our conference, um, you know, she says, well, you know, all the public land she's got, well, Utah and Colorado, and they, they dwarf what we do. And so the port has stood up in the absence of state funding. And so we are really filling a void that, quite frankly, you know, we're encouraging the state to step up some more, too. It's, it's yeah. not only our problem, but, I mean, we still have a catching up to do. So, I mean, I think the port's leadership in this has been really essential mm -hmm. due to the failure of state investment. And I think um, that's not to be missed. But at the same time, there are multiple organizations in the state, whether we visit Seattle at the very local level, statewide tourism, the port. And I think, you know, to the degree that we are better integrating how our strengths are are able yes. to be built, developing a budget that also looks at how we are leveraging each other's resources, I think is really what's key. And I know you folks are working on it this year, and I think we'll even come back stronger next. So, but thank you for all that work. And I see the port's investment at this time as being essential. Well said, and thank you again for your support. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate your time. Commissioner, could I just say a couple of Oh, absolutely. Of Go ahead. Thanks. Thanks, commissioners. And, and thanks. I do want to say that, uh, um, uh, thanks, David and, uh, and Nick and, and Dave. And I think really there was foresightedness too. We were just discussing when we had that little break there is that the foresightedness and, and putting additional funds towards this, when times were very tough, we said, well, where could we move the needle to be prepared for this? So I just want to thank the commission and your predecessors for being positioning ourselves in order to do this and advance this work. I think it was a, one of those things of where we, we questioned how can we position ourselves to be, to contribute to that recovery. And I think, uh, the work of the commission really enabled that. Regarding China, I actually met with the general counsel from uh, San Francisco just uh, just last week, and um, and they talked about how in China themselves they they are looking forward to the resumption of that, but there it's not opened up with China right now, as you said, David. It's uh, and he's you know the the, the consul general from Chang uh, um, from from San Francisco said that's one of the areas that they want to get back to normal is is more normal travel with China. And the last thing I just want to comment on is the uh, this I really appreciate based on my background is being prepared to encounter um, uh, be as a responsible tourism is that being prepared when you enter those environments whether it be in the mountains or whether it be on the water in our beautiful waters here we have in Washington State but being prepared is a great message too I'm glad that's part of this because you don't want to have that uh, end very badly. And that's the, the that's the uh, the greatness of the outdoors here in, in Washington State is is that you can be in contact with w the wild <laughs> much easier than you can in other places. So I appreciate that. So thank you. Great. We have a short we have a short agenda, right? So well, last thing, last thing. So um, you know, you saw in Yellowstone, like three people just got gored by a buffalo. You know, I just did a press thing here at the airport. We have. Um, you know, the savvy traveler information, you know, don't go over to someplace and have like, you know, take a selfie with a monkey on your shoulder. I mean, there's a certain level of uh, understanding ahead. But what happened, I think, with COVID, which is very interesting, was nobody wanted to go inside, right? And so we are, you know, so what we saw uh, with COVID on the trails and elsewhere was, I mean, uh, like I think the potential nightmare, if we don't step up, if we don't have enough rangers, if we don't have enough trail maintenance, you have unexperienced people, inexperienced people,
coming in and being ill-prepared for the conditions. So again, this is that need more than ever, if we're going to solicit more folks to enjoy this place, that, that, that advanced notice of arrival <laughs> needs to be a part of the messaging. Could I, could I give one more? Um, yes, I, there's a really interesting confluence here and an opportunity for us all in that we do have to exercise some responsible travel. But again, the data, the shift in data in the pandemic says that visitors really want that. So for a state that is at a competitive disadvantage with all the other states, by example, our budget is maybe seven to eight million, California is 120 million, Oregon is 40 million, Wyoming is 26 million. We could make a quantum leap by leaning into the curve here and really focusing on responsible travel, indigenous communities, cultural awareness. It's really the brand that we built and I think it's an opportunity here that could take us farther and I think maybe get some inroads here without a big budget. Excellent, thank you so much. Thank you. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. We'll then hear from Executive Met Don't to introduce the record. Don't we have to pass the budget or no? No, there's, this is not a voting item, it's just passing. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Commissioner, Vice President. This is agenda item 11B, the 2023 budget development briefing, and I believe our presenters are virtual today. That's flight quarter. Oh. Commissioners, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna kick this off with, uh, um, as, as you know, across the staff across the organization are hard at work of preparing our budgets for 2023. And this is just the purpose of this briefing is just to provide a high level overview of our budget process for the benefit of the public and ending with our timelines for the budget going forward. And uh, with me today, our presenters, uh, Dan Thomas is the uh, chief financial officer and then Michael Tong is going to talk about the schedule going forward too. And you know, really for, I'm going to cover a lot of these materials. Uh, first slide, please. And Dan's ready to jump in if I if I venture off into uh, areas that he wants to add to. So we're going to talk about the uh, the environmental scan, which is looking at the conditions that we're faced as we're developing the budget. Uh, just a couple slides on uh, on the business forecast, and then looking at uh, reviewing our budget principles and strategies going into other budget considerations, and then we're going to end with the uh, with the calendar going forward. So first is what I like to call next slide please, uh, is what it calls the environmental scan of the environment around us, is that uh, I'll discuss here, we'll, we have continued uh, recovery both in airport and cruise businesses and uh, as well as the work of the uh, NWSA and in, in, uh, in, uh, cargo traffic there as well. Um, we have a lot of uncertainty, as you know, I mean, this is especially over the coming months, economic and pandemic uncertainties. Um, recession, supply chain issues are still out there and, and uh, disruptions from that as well are still uh, still on the horizon. And then of course inflation is at a 40 year high. Um, I'm going to take the recent reduction in gas prices as a indicator which we hope to see uh, uh, indicating that uh, things are going to be changing in that as far as we go forward. Um, and for us as being competitive, we have our own staff as we look at our own staff and our impact on our uh, our partner um, businesses as well. Uh, lots of those are impacted by um, uh, employees 
leaving during the pandemic or releasing pandemic uh, employees during the pandemic, then hiring back and retaining them. That'll continue to be a very competitive job market for us, and, and especially in, in highly um, in positions where uh, there's a lot of competition. That includes retaining our employees as well. So we want to recruit, but we also need to retain. And, and as we develop the budget, you'll see some focus on that. Uh, there is uh, uh, increased some regulation, increase in regulation, external policy changes that may impact us, and that includes some of the uh, environmental uh, regulations and, and guidance, not regulations, but uh, policies. Uh, and of course, we want to uh, keep a focus on our community-related issues and funding those properly, too. And then, of course, uh, uh, our looking at our own staff needs, in particular, You'll hear me uh, going back to this as we develop is having that capacity to deliver our capital programs. So next slide, please. Uh, here's just a slide that just kind of shows um, where we are right now in the recovery. Um, as you know, especially on uh, some of the busier weekends, we've returned back up to up to 50,000, 55,000 travelers at SEA. But you can see the, the trends here and then the forecast for this uh, uh, recovery of, of where we're going as far as the uh, total recovery of uh, passenger traffic at SEA will, is anticipated about 2024 on this. But we've made great strides in returning to this. And uh, it, and we know that that primarily is through domestic, as we heard even from uh, David talking about international travel. Even though we have some routes that have come on, um, there's anticipation that in international is yet to be uh, fully recovered to where it was prior to the pandemic uh, to do that. So. Excuse me, sure. Econometric. Yeah. In, a, in the next slide, you will show the the passenger versus the number of vessels. Yes. Whereas in this slide, we are just showing passengers. Yes. I think it's important for uh, community. The amount of traffic, to like in the see, future, to yeah, yeah, a similar type of thing. Yeah, I guess. I'm just I, anticipating. Sorry. Yeah, I'm right, right. No, but I, I think it is important, <laughs> though, that I, I'm of the belief that planes are getting larger for the average plane sizes larger. So, in fact, I believe. Like with ships, very well, often a, you'll find it's not a linear increase between the number of passengers and the number of flights. And I think that's something we can look at the team. We'll talk with aviation about that to see if there's a similar uh, comparison, right, to number of travelers versus the size of aircraft and loading and, and those things. And Because right now, as I go to the next slide, is that uh, as we look at loading, it has to do with you have the vessels and then you have for crews and the recovery. Of course, as you know, we... Um, we have 296 ship calls coming in, in 2022, but the loading is changing as we're going through the season. And so I take that, Commissioner, is that we can kind of look at that traffic is um, a number of aircraft versus uh, the passengers as well. And I, I'm assuming that we can uh, work with something like that to do that. So, uh, But this just shows the recovery of where we are in cruise. And, and I, was, I know Stephanie Jones-Stebbins is in the audience there, but, but I know that our loading... Um, um, it's hard to see you through the crowd there, but um, but the um, but it but it shows is that it actually is varying through the year of the the loading factors of that, and we're tracking that the number of passengers on the uh, for the cruise is going forward. Next slide, please. And these are the uh, guiding principles are kind of consistent here. This is just a recap for the public that may be watching too. Is what continue to focus our guiding principles are health and safety of employees, customers, and the public uh, as we go forward, and that includes the pandemic as well. Uh, efficient operation of our gateways is important to uh, everyone who uses our gateways. 
and supporting regional economic recovery through advancing our capital uh, improvement program and continuing investment in community programs. But it's also the aspect of each of our programs, and I think we hit on a couple of them today, which is each aspect of our program should look through that lens of the community um, uh, equity and community benefits as well. So, and I think we're lining up in that of discussing that as we as we fund the budget for as we build the budget for 23. And then, really important for me is investing in our employees on re recruitment, retention, and de development as well to do that because that's part of the part of the solution. I thought that there was an interesting thing. You know, when you talk about uh, one of the factors for I'm going to going back to the aviation industry. I don't know if it's going to uh, progress, but there was a uh, uh, there was a bill to uh, increase the the age, the mandatory age retirement for pilots. As we know, there's a pilot shortage, and that's causing some of that. I don't know if that's going to get traction, but it was raising it from 65 to 67, and uh, that you know is something out there that you know that that may give some minor relief to the airlines, but it's better than than uh, than losing the pilots. Uh, <laughs> So, but I, I, there's things like that. There's things like that that we could see that could help with some of the issues that we help. Um, and then, uh, next slide, please. Thank you. And the uh, uh, just some of our strategies again, monitoring our, our growth in expenses because we know with inflation we have to do that with our projected revenues and uh, where we're, that will be included with that. And evaluating <laughs> additional FTEs is. Uh, I'll talk about that later. Is because. You know, for that long time, we had a, we had a, uh, a not a freeze, but a, uh, a, 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 a that we thought out. But it was basically a, a hard review on, on positions that are hiring for 2020 and 2021. And we do have some needs within our own staffs in order to get uh, to do all the things we want to do uh, effectively and efficiently within a, a timeline. So we're going to be taking a look at that. Um, just to highlight a couple other here um, is is really looking. When we go into our budget retreat, we'll be talking about our capital um, investment plan for our, our capital projects and having the uh, uh, realistic assumptions about both supply chain and capacity to deliver will be on there, and we'll be talking about those. And uh, we'll be also looking at the, our equity lens in, our, in uh, looking at, and we'll be talking about that more of our equity and budgeting in our second year of really approaching that and, and trying to build those factors into the building of our budget. And then, of course, um, these are continue these cross cutting issues, which are sustainability and resiliency, making sure that we're covering those uh, within, within our budgets as well. Uh, next slide, please. And this is the recap. Everything everybody knows is that uh, some of these. Uh, uh, the environment, as I said there, there are uncertainties there, so we have to build in some capacity to adjust to uncertainties going forward uh, within the budget and and looking at to um, balancing those expenses with our projected revenues and, and accomplishing that uh, to do that. And then, of course, um, a large amount of our of, of our budget is for our own employees and looking at what we're gonna, how we're gonna approach pay increases going into the future, and I'll tell you that one of the things that's on the table is consideration of how do we anticipate inflation. We've never had inflation this high, and how do you how do you weigh that with pay for performance and uh, looking at that? So, so we have to make sure that we're looking at that and looking at equity issues within that as well for our workforce. Keeping in mind the retention and the uh, and the recruitment of to be competitive with other. Employers, we want to be in the employer of choice. 
Um, we talked about construction before, of construction inflation being actually higher than the regular inflation. And in some cases, depending on the materials, uh, you know, the time and delay, and also the um, uh, the cost could be between 25 and 40 percent on some materials and some projects. So. Uh, it can be really expensive. And then supply chain issues, as you know, as we came back to you saying that we had a delay in the uh, on the shore power because of the, elect the, the supply chain delays pushed back the, uh, the ability to, to put that submarine cable back a, a year just on supply chain issues. And then... Um, uh, and then we talked about these other ones, advancing our equity and budgeting. So those are just some of the key considerations. You're going to get more of this... Um, uh, coming up in the study session, but just wanted to lay the groundwork on some of these, so I, uh, we'll just kind of reference them as we go forward. So, any questions on those before I move to Michael Tong with the uh, um, Michael Tong with the uh, um, calendar? Any questions, Commissioner Feldman? So I, I always find it ironic when ports get stuck by the supply chain problems. It's you know, it's you look at our own own darn fault sometimes, right? I blame but, uh, the Seaport Alliance, but <laughs> I, I would blame on the Alliance, right? Right. So, um, but be that as it may, this you know, typically, you know, when 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 with the uh, downturn economy, right, we want to put our foot on the metal, keep the keep the construction going, yeah. do like we've been doing. It's great. Uh, I'm just wondering, at you know, in terms of it, at a moment like this where, you know, supply stuff is, I believe, catching up, but still slow. Um, you know, I just looked at trying to order some windows, and it was ridiculous. But uh, in, in terms of the time frame, uh, but I, I'm just wondering, in terms of, you know, does it make some sense in looking at our CIP to, you know, rather than running right into the purchasing and, you know, normally you, you wait some time, it's going to cost you more later. But right now, because the inflation is so high and the delays are so long, does it make some sense to stagger some some of the construction projects that we were thinking. I, I'm not saying we know right now, but I'm saying it almost seems like it's a moment to reflect, at least on some projects, based on availability of materials and things like that. Well, we think, well, we're bouncing a bunch of different issues, and that's why you saw one of the items that I highlighted in the uh, um, consent agenda was that design and long lead time and materials. Time will tell you almost always is, even though we think it's, expen it's expensive now, time equals more cost in the future. Uh -huh. So if there's a longer supply chain, it does make more sense for us to look at. And try anyway, we'll com we continue to apply strategies to that, uh, to look at that. But there's no, you know, you're trying to say, well, maybe prices will go down, but you're trying to, um, what you're trying to go up is a strategy that's going to um, minimize your risk in this. And it has proven to us time and time again, purchasing things sooner makes more sense than purchasing them later. You may but still have to wait for it, but you might as well. You may still have to wait have for to it, it, but you want to get in the queue as well, right. so you're not waiting sure. for it, which is more time or more delay on a project. But, of course, a lot of times completing the project, and the IEF is a good example, reaching that completion and occupation rate started bringing in increased revenues as well. So we look at those and some of those Absolutely. and those investments can, those are all the issues that we, that we balance in that. Excellent. Any other questions or comments? Before we move it on, move on to Tong. All right, Tong, you're up. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioner. Thank you, Steve. Um, I'm going to up a couple of slides just uh, to go over the 2023 budget calendar. We uh, start the um, budget planning discussion with the ELT uh, in May, and then you have the first commission uh, budget retreat on June 14. Um, 
now we have the budget uh, development briefing today, and then uh, next Monday you will have the second budget retreat, and then after that we'll, uh, the department will start working on the budget, and anything about the baseline budget, uh, similar to what we did um, in the last few years, we asked you know department to submit the new budget request form, and then we'll combine that. And similarly for um, the commissioners, well, you know, um, some of your priority um, you would like to see the list um, um, to uh, um, Steve. And then we'll uh, have the department budget review uh, meeting uh, from August 15 um, to August 23rd, and we review the department items, uh, all the new budget requests and so on. And then after that, um, we will uh, look at the combined essential service budget um, in um, September, uh, mid-September, and then they also review the uh, operating divisions um, budget, uh, both the operating budget and capital budget, uh, also in in um, mid-September. And then at the same time, we also provide want to need to provide the uh, CPO alliance our not harbor budget. Um, to them so that they can move up the overall budget for the CPA lines as well. And then, uh, next slide, please. And then, um, towards the end of September, we will present you the central service uh, budget, the proposed budget, uh, and also the overall port-wide uh, will up, uh, have a quick overview there. And then uh, the division, uh, operating division um, budget study session will be um, on uh, October 11, um, then we'll finish the uh, preliminary budget document and uh, and uh, plan to uh, make it available to you uh, on October 18, and then uh, we'll make it to the public a day or two after that. And then you have a number of briefing uh, in late uh, October, uh, including the tax levy and job plan of finance discussion. The, um, on the CPA line side, you will have a um, budget uh, study sessions, as well as the approval of the adoption of the CPA Alliance budget uh, on November 7. And then for our uh, Seattle budget, you will have the, um, the introduction of budget and adoption of budget in November. And then after that, we'll wrap it up and we'll file the statutory budget uh, with the county on or before um, December 1st. And then we'll finish up all the final budget document and make it um, available to you and the public uh, by December 15. So that's um, that's uh, the overall budget schedule for 2023 budget. Uh, but later, I have, uh, I have uh, answer to any question that you may have. Thanks, Michael. And just to say, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of blue commission actions on page two. Obviously, as we get later on in the year, and appreciate your. Uh, um, <laughs> where that all comes into working with you and, 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 and that very aggressive timetable to meet that. Excellent. Any questions for Tong? All right. Is, was there, but, is Dan Thomas presenting after this? No, that's, no? that's it, Commissioner. But let me say, I mean, I, made, I shouldn't have made a lighthearted comment about the NWSA <laughs> in the supply chain. I just apologize, and that's really, I mean, I should respect the, that's a very complicated issue and the supply chain is, is, is a very serious issue that affects a lot of that. And we work really hard, and our team works really hard, and I shouldn't. Um, I, I apologize. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a joke. I was, mean, I think everyone. I know, but I, I, it's not something I should have said, so I apologize. Appreciate that, Steve. Um, we love our friends over at the Seaport Alliance. 
for the record. All right. Um, I believe that's it for the agenda. That concludes our scheduled business items for today. Are there any closing comments at this time or motions relating to committee referrals from commissioners? Commissioner Fallon. Thank you. Um, I, I guess I'd like to start. I have a couple things. Start. We, we lost a tribal leader of unknown proportion uh, just the other day, Terry Williams of the Tulalip tribes. You know, he, this guy was like an ambassador for, for tribal people, but you know, to bring them, to allow folks like me to be able to interact with, uh, with really the power of the understanding of the fundamental importance of how the environment and the treaty are one. And so he started off, you know, when, the, when I first came back from D.C., it was like 1988, 89, and here he was, the founding member of the Puget Sound Water Quality Authority. And, um, and then it's gone on to the action team, and now it's the partnership. But he was there at the beginning. He was, he was uh, you know, the environmental lead on the Northwest Indian Fisheries Commission, which dealt with a lot. He was there with Billy Frank when fighting the, the fish wars from the beginning. And... Um, and, and, his, and then, then he, got, he was one of the earliest leaders in climate change awareness. Uh, and he would go, he was a tribal liaison to the EPA. Then he went on to be a negotiator for the Pacific Salmon Treaty with First Nations. But, and it didn't stop. He ended up um, going on to uh, U.S. delegations to the U.N. Convention on Biological Diversity. Um, but, it, but it was really this crazy thing about you know, this force of nature, and he was such a sweet, calm man, and he would put up with, you know, banging his head against the same wall for many, many years, but showed this patience and commitment and this conviction. Um, Dave Summers, who from uh, Sinahomish up there, he, um, he, he knew him really well, because he worked with Terry when, uh, when Dave was actually a fisheries biologist back when I was in that business. And, um, and so, so Dave was very close to him, and, and, but he, he just said, you know, that his positive and creative spirit was, um, it's just un, un, unusual. I mean, like, you could not believe somebody who had seen such hardship and a lot of health challenges along the way that just would maintain this positive attitude. And like I said, um, allowing folks who are not tribal members to be able to understand a little bit what it means to fight the good fight, and uh, we were all better for it. So... Um, He's going to have a memorial service, and but anyway, it's uh, you know, him, Billy Frank. I mean, these were leaders of unknown proportion. Anyway, on a lighter note, um, the I, I had the pleasure of going up to Bellingham just uh, the other day to be on the nation's first hydrogen ferry. You know, and and built right there at All American Marine. You know, and and I understand it made some press up there, but like. I, it drives me nuts that um, we have this innovation, talent, uh, forward-looking capability here in Washington State, um, and people don't know the maritime exists, or they don't know that this is where innovation exists. It's like, oh my God, and uh, what bums me out even more, the boat's going to California. <laughs> you know, so, so here we are. In fact, it's the second vessel, and uh, I've been asking every time I, you know, that's All-American Marine, we have Dakota, we have uh, Nichols Brothers, we have Vigorite, or... Uh, in our backyard, and um, I just want every time one of these boats get punched out, that just to do a donut around Elliott Bay, just let the helicopter photograph, let people know 
what's going on here? And, um, and I was actually, one of the reasons I went up there was to say, can, can you please bring the boat around before you leave? And it's, you know, they built the boat, they don't own the boat, so it's a couple steps, but we're still working on it. And so I just think, um, really proud that we have folks that can do this. And this mm -hmm. is, you know, cutting edge. There's like a handful of people in the country, and we got them. So anyway... It's a great thing to know that we have this, uh, and it's forward-looking, and it maybe gives us a little hope that this weather like this will not be the norm. <laughs> anyway, so thank you for sharing that. Great. Allow me to share that. Thank you, Commissioner Valman. Anyone else? Uh, Executive Director Metric, any closing comments? No, no. Thank you, Commissioners. Thank you for your time today. Great. Hearing no further comments and having no further business, if there is no objection, we are adjourned at 2:09 p.m. Thank you, everybody.